0: Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And
1: welcome to Season 2 of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist Exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy.
0: Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did.
1: This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study.
0: Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, If you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at PushingPediatrics or send us an email at PushingPediatrics at gmail.com.
1: Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program, but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription, or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page.
0: Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today.
1: Welcome back. This week, we are going over the clinical summary for spina bifida. Remember, when we talked about spinal cord injury, we mentioned that a lot of things overlap between these two diagnoses, and they sometimes can be treated similarly. Keep that in mind while you're studying.
0: Spina bifida is a birth defect that develops when an infant's spinal cord does not completely close during the early stages of the mother's pregnancy. This causes both physical and intellectual disabilities. There are different types of spina bifida. It can first be categorized as occulta, which means hidden, or aperta, which is visible. The three different types of spina bifida include meningocele, myelomeningocele, and myeloschisis. In Meningocele, only the meninges and sac of spinal fluid protrude under the skin. This is the most mild form. Myelomeningocele is when there is spinal fluid, meninges, and neural tissue within the sac that protrudes under the skin, and sometimes the skin is absent. This is the most common form of spina bifida and the focus of this clinical summary. Myeloschisis is when the nerve tissue is fully exposed and a cleft forms in the spinal cord when the neural folds fail to close during neural tube development. This is the most severe form. There is also another form called lipomyelomeningocele that does not fall under the umbrella of spina bifida, but is a subcutaneous fatty tumor resulting in a spinal laminar defect that penetrates the dura and is covered by skin.
1: In spina bifida, there is damage to the anterior horn cells, nerve roots, and peripheral nervous system. This results in lower motor neuron damage and damage to the brain and corticospinal or pyramidal tracts. This can lead to loss or impairment of function below the level of the lesion. These impairments can include paralysis or muscle weakness, loss of sensation, and impaired bowel and bladder function. Two conditions associated with spina bifida include hydrocephalus and Chiari malformation type 2.
0: Primary impairments of spina bifida include paralysis and weakness in muscle groups below the level of the lesion, loss of cutaneous sensation in dermatomes innervated by nerves below the level of the lesion, loss of bowel and bladder control, and changes in muscle tone including hypotonia and hypertonia.
1: Secondary impairments include orthopedic defects, malalignment, and joint contractures. A few examples include hip flexion contracture, joint subluxation, external or internal tibial or femoral torsions, equinovarus, and other deformities. Other secondary impairments may include cognitive impairments, learning disabilities, and obesity.
0: Activity limitations may include limitations in independent mobility and self-care, gait abnormalities, and functional ambulation limitations. Participation restrictions may include access in the community, ability to participate in play, sports, and other leisure or recreational activities, as well as occupational choices. Remember, part of the exam is also supporting the transition of children as they become adults with disabilities. Pay attention to things that could be appropriate occupations for adults with specific disabilities, including the different options of employment, such as supported employment. At the school that I work at, we begin prepping kids as early as age 13 for these transitions and begin exploring employment options for them early on. We work with the transition staff and our students who have mobility restrictions to help modify the work environment and teach the kids skills that will help them achieve whatever tasks or jobs they will need to be doing at their employment. A little off topic, but definitely something to keep in mind and think about.
1: Let's move on to classifying lesion level. Remember, these levels can present similarly to those with lower-level spinal cord injuries. However, according to the clinical summary, they classify children based on functional level using manual muscle testing and cutaneous dermatomal testing rather than specifically by the lesion level. With infants or children too young to participate in standardized muscle testing, observation of spontaneous anti-gravity movement can provide a fairly accurate assessment of strength and therefore functional level. Sometimes there will be isolated muscle function or sensation noted below the functional level or lack of motor control or sensation above the lowest functioning level. This indicates a skip lesion.
0: Individuals with spina bifida have been classified according to ambulation status. Normal ambulation is when they are independent and are unrestricted regarding ambulation without the use of assistive devices. Community ambulation is when they can ambulate outdoors independently with or without the use of braces and or assistive devices and may use a wheelchair for longer distances. Household ambulation is when the child uses braces or assistive devices for indoor ambulation and uses a wheelchair for outdoor mobility. Non-functional ambulation is when walking only occurs in therapeutic settings. Non-ambulation is when the child is wheelchair dependent.
1: Moving on to examination of the child with spina bifida. When examining a newborn, focus on safe handling and positioning of the infant to protect the wound. Assessment should include spontaneous extremity movement, range of motion, and cutaneous sensation will be performed both preoperatively and postoperatively. Assess for orthopedic deformities such as club foot or hip dysplasia. We may also be involved with assessing feeding.
0: Some areas to consider when examining the older child include body structure and function, activity and mobility, and participation. Comorbidities that need to be monitored by the physical therapist include hydrocephalus, And Chiari 2 malformation. We need to be aware of the signs and symptoms of shunt malfunction, Chiari 2 malformation, and tethered cord syndrome. Signs and symptoms of a shunt malfunction include headache, irritability, fever, nausea, vision or speech changes, and changes in balance and postural stability. Symptoms of Chiari malformation type 2 include ataxia, changes in bowel and bladder control spasticity, and changes in upper extremity function. Symptoms of tethered cord syndrome include progressive loss of strength or sensation, changes in bowel or bladder function, changes in functional mobility and gait pattern, back or lower extremity pain, changes in spasticity, loss of range of motion, or changes in good positioning or progression of deformity.
1: The clinical summary then goes on to discussing taking a history and the tests and measures that should be examined. When taking a history, make sure that you are interviewing both parent and the child. Include questions such as family and social situations, if they receive therapy elsewhere, relevant medical history, functional mobility, endurance, and self-care. When completing the examination, include everything on the ICF model body structure and function, activity limitations, and participation restrictions. The clinical summary has a great summary chart of different tests and measures that one should complete and descriptions of all of them. So make sure to take a look at that. The outcome measures that they include are the functional mobility scale, the six minute walk test, the Alberta infant motor scale, the Bailey the Peabody, the BOT2, the PD, the WEFIM, the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure, the School Function Assessment, the CAPE, the PAC, the PEM-CY, the PEDS-QL, and the Child Health Questionnaire. Obviously with these outcome measures, choose the one that is most appropriate for the child and the family. When you are reviewing all of these outcome measures, be sure to know what the age range is for the test, what it measures, and if the outcome of the test is what you're looking to measure.
0: The prognosis for children can be affected by the lesion level and the functional motor level, the presence of a shunt and Chiari malformation type two, cognitive level, family and social resources and involvement, and access to care. The clinical summary has a great chart on the expected level of function and equipment based on motor level. Like we said earlier, it is similar to the lower level spinal cord injuries. We will briefly go over each level. At the thoracic level, it is expected for the child to have muscle function of the abdominals, paraspinals and quadratus lumborum. They will tend to be non-functional ambulators and use a wheelchair for mobility they could potentially participate in ambulation in standing in therapies at school and at home. They may use THKAFOs. At the high lumbar level, L1 to L3, they will have all muscle function at the thoracic level, including hip flexion and hip adduction. They are expected to have limited household ambulation and use a wheelchair for mobility they may use forearm crutches or a walker, reciprocating gait orthoses, or HKAFOs. At the mid-lumbar level, L3 to L4, they will have all muscle function at the thoracic and high lumbar level, including knee extension. They are expected to be household ambulators with limited community ambulation. They may use a wheelchair for long distances, a walker or forearm crutches, as well as KAFOs. At the low lumbar level, L4 to L5, they will have all muscle function at the thoracic, high, and mid-lumbar level, including hip abduction, knee flexion, ankle dorsiflexion, ankle inversion, and toe extension. They will be able to ambulate within the household and most community distances while using a wheelchair for some longer distances. They may also use forearm crutches and AFOs. At the sacral level, they will have all muscle function at the thoracic and lumbar levels, including hip extension, ankle plantar flexion, ankle eversion, and toe flexion. They will be able to ambulate functionally within the community, possibly only using SMOs or foot orthoses. As far as
1: intervention goes, the clinical summary has some nice charts for each age group. Primary goals for the newborn period include safe positioning and handling, promoting good alignment and physiological flexion, assess and promote acquisition of anti-gravity strength and motor skills, and make sure we're educating the family. Goals during infancy include emphasizing positioning, prevention of contracture, and acquisition of strength and motor skills. For toddlers and preschoolers, goals include acquisition of strength, motor skills, independent ambulation and or assisted mobility, and orthosis and equipment management. For pre-adolescents and adolescents, goals shift to focus on functional mobility in the community, participation in social and recreational activities, equipment and orthosis management, promoting autonomy with life skills, and transition planning. The clinical summary finishes off by going over the medical management and diagnoses, which we will let you read on your own.
0: Remember, spina bifida levels are similar to those low-level spinal cord injuries. Make sure you're going over both of them. Don't stress yourself out significantly by thinking they're extremely different. You are smarter than you think when it comes to the material don't let it overwhelm you. Take a step back and look at the bigger picture. I wish somebody told me that when we were studying because there were so many times I fixated on the small details and wasn't looking at the bigger picture right in front of me. PCS Advantage has a great study guide on spina bifida, so definitely take a look at that. Campbell also has some great charts and information as well.
1: I definitely think that making sure you understand how you're going to use this information and trying to kind of think about what types of clinical scenarios you might have to solve will definitely be more beneficial than obsessing over some small detail that two different resources give a little bit of different information on. So I love Sarah's tips there. Well, that is it for this episode. Join us on Friday when we go over a case study on spina bifida from the Case Files book. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We value your feedback and we want to continue improving to provide the best product for you. You've got this. We will talk to you Friday.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time.
1: And remember, you totally got it.